We are going to get started. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. As we've tried to make somewhat obvious. Actually, Terry, can I get Terry, can I get you to turn off the lights right here above me? Yeah. Because nobody really needs to see me. Everybody's got to see that. Because today is Resurrection Sunday. What does that mean? Today is the day that we celebrate Jesus conquering death. I need you to understand the cataclysmic repercussions of the death of God and the resurrection of God. If you were here Friday, we talked about how the cross of Jesus is, is central. It's the center of human history. When Jesus died upon the cross and he, and he proclaimed, it is finished, he proclaimed the end to the war between God and man, which was established in Genesis chapter 3. When he said, I will, we said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman's seed, your seed and the woman's seed. And he will, he will crush your head, but you will bruise his heel. That war between God and man and sin and Satan and death is finished in the cross of Christ. When Jesus was crucified, when he died, when the spirit left his body, there was a great earthquake. The earth shook at the power that was expressed in the death of God. It says that, when the earth shook, tombs opened up. The dead came back to life, went back to their relatives. Can you imagine being in an earthquake and then having someone who had passed away suddenly show up on your doorstep, say I'm alive again because this power was just exploded from this centralized place on the earth and these people got up and went home? It says that in the Holy of Holies, now if you don't understand temple worship and, and what the Jews did as far as uh, their religion, they had the temple and it was massive. And you had all of these different courts. It got smaller and smaller. And as the courts got smaller, less people were allowed. And so on the outside, maybe the women and the Gentiles, us, would be allowed. But we were unclean, so we couldn't go any further than that into the next court. And then there'd be the next court after that, which pretty much was only for the priests. And then you had a place called the Holy of Holies. It was a small little area. The, the Ark of the Covenant was in there. And one time a year on a day called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest and the high priest alone would go in. He would go in through this massive veil. Now, when we think about a veil, we think about a, a wedding veil. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a curtain that was like a down comforter, just thick, massive, heavy, beautiful, intricately made. It separated the Holy of Holies, the small little sanctuary, from the rest of the world. This place sat empty for most of the year except for this day where the high priest came in. And he would go in and he would come in with the blood of the lamb and he would sprinkle it upon the altar and, and, and make atonement for the sins of the Israelites or the Jewish people. And then he would quickly leave. That was the only time, that was the only reason why anybody would go in there. Nobody, especially not us uh, uh, dirty, unclean Gentiles, were allowed to go into this place. And it says that when Jesus died, miraculously this thing ripped from top to bottom this thing this veil this massive uh curtain that separated everybody from this holy place ripped in two symbolic of jesus's body that we could now enter into the presence of god that those by faith and belief in jesus could now enter into the most holy of places but it had a double meaning it meant that the most holy of places was no, was no longer centralized to one area upon the earth 
Praise God that even now at South Bay Chapel in central New York, in tiny little Canastota, that we can enter into the presence of God. We don't have to go thousands of miles around the earth and make a pilgrimage to a holy place. The holy place that we are at is the place where Jesus is and he is with us always. Okay? So, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus is central to human history. But this day, this day flips it all upside down. This, this changes everything. Luke chapter 24 says this, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, at early dawn, which is before I, way before I get up, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, excuse me, and crucified and on the third day rise. And it says, And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and, the Mary, and Mary the mother of James and the other women with, with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The first people to show up to the tomb of Jesus was a group of women. We as Gentiles in a modern culture, we lose sight of the significance of this. In this day and in this time, the testimony of a woman was basically worthless. What a woman would say about it, how they would testify, would mean almost nothing. Especially if a, if a man contradicted that testimony. They would just simply go with the man. But Jesus reveals this event this moment this history changing uh time first two women and i'm not saying this to glorify women if we do that we've gone the wrong way but i'm here to tell you that at the foot of the cross all are equal no matter what culture says about a man or a woman the bible speaks about men and women and what the bible says is what we adopt and the Bible says that Jesus first revealed the empty tomb to these women. And they went, and you can see, the men thought, oh, it's just the women. They're just being crazy again. And then Peter goes to the tomb. Peter says, I'm going to go check this out. And he finds the tomb empty too. I want everybody to know, not that this is the, the central idea this morning, but I want you to know that at the foot of the cross, we are all equal. There is no one superior. We're all we're all puzzle pieces that fit together to make a big picture known as Jesus. And we all have a place and we all have a, a, a message and we all have something to bring to uh, the party, if you will, that is Christianity or following Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross on Good Friday satisfied the wrath of God. So if you can imagine God the Father in heaven with a big bucket of wrath pouring it out upon all people, and for those in faith, Jesus stands in front of them and takes all of the wrath. That the wrath poured out no longer hits us, but it hits him instead. And he absorbs it. And he takes it. And we see that 
when he is crucified, when he is flogged, when he's beaten, when he's, he's brutalized at the hands of men. We see him take the wrath of humankind on himself so that he would die in our place rather than have us die. It's, one of the, it's the greatest act of love that we can find. That God himself, who is justified in pouring out his wrath because we've all sinned, instead says, I would rather die for you than have you die imperfectly for yourself. Because even if we die in our sins, we, we go to hell. Why? Because we have not perfectly satisfied the wrath of God. Only Jesus alone does that. Now, the death of Jesus satisfies that wrath, but what about after that? What about, so we've been forgiven of our sins of the past, but what, what now? Are, are we simply given a clean slate and that's it? No, today is the day that changes everything. This empty tomb where, where Jesus' body once was and now no longer is changes everything. You see, we are eternal beings in a physical body that will one day perish. We all know that. And even salvation doesn't change the fact that our bodies will die one day. We spend billions of dollars every year as a people trying to prevent that day, and it just keeps happening. We, we know that. None of us are going to ever outlive the world. We are going to be born, and then we're going to live, hopefully, and then we're going to die. It's not something that you generally want to think about, but it's just the truth and what it is. But what happens to us after that? We are, we are created for eternity. Now, when you read Genesis chapter 3, or excuse me, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, when God's creating everything, there's no mention of death. We were not created to die. We were not created to experience death. That comes in with sin. At that point, we are told that we are indeed going to die. And so we were created to be with, to be with God. And in, first Col or excuse me, in Colossians, I believe it says that we were created to be with Jesus, for Jesus, and through Jesus. And so after, after our passing of our physical life, we... The Bible says that Jesus separates what we call the sheep and the goats. The Bible calls us sheep and goats. Goats go to hell. Sheep go to heaven. Okay? Those who are in faith in Christ when they die, they go to be with the Lord because that's what they want. And for those who do not, they become goats, they go to hell, they, they suffer eternally this torment that we know as hell. Now, the resurrection of Jesus changes all of that. That means, that means that we could become sheep. You see, without Jesus, we're all goats. There aren't some born good and some born bad. There aren't some that, that are just inherently good and just some that are inherently bad. If you read the Bible, we're all inherently bad. We, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And for some, that's a downer. That's a depressor. You're going to tell me I'm a sinner? No, I'm going to tell us all we're sinners. You see, that once again levels the playing field. There's no... There's no person over there that I'm not as sinful as, so God looks at me and gives me a little wink, and I'm okay with him. No, if I have sinned and if you have sinned, then we just prove the Bible right. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God being the merciful, wonderful God that he is, dies in our place, and then conquers death by taking back up his life again. Isaiah 53 and, and 5 says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
we have turned every one to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all isaiah 53 was written hundreds of years before jesus was even born isaiah 53 is the chapter known as the the suffering servant this portrayal of jesus on the cross every stripe every mark every beating every thorn in his crown every pierced hand and foot was for our benefit because of our sin and we can run from that or we can look at the reality of our lives and say you know what the Bible's on to something because I have sinned I have I have lied I have cheated I have stolen I've disrespected people I've hated people I've I've been I've had malice towards people I've had lustful thoughts towards women or men I've I've I just I'm not perfect even when I try to be it, it just doesn't pan out for more than just a couple hours or days at best you see we need something more than just a new set of rules or morals or standards turn to 1st Corinthians chapter 15 pastor Mike made reference to this this morning chapter 15 verse 20 you know, as you turn there, Jesus said that he is the good shepherd in John chapter 10. He lays down his life for his sheep. And as honorable and as noble as that is, he also says, but I have the power and the authority to take my life back up. Jesus alone is the only one who has ever died, come back to life, and never died again. Many people have died and come back, had near-death experiences or, or full-death experiences and come back and visions and all of that. But then they go and die again, right? This is not what happened to Jesus. This is not the same thing. Jesus died fully, and then he took his life back up again, for he alone has that, that power and that authority. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each to his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. A lot of people will say God is the God of second chances. You ever heard that before? God is the God of second chances. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but that's not actually accurate. God is the God of only chances. God is your only chance. Jesus is your only chance to ever make anything of this life. For anything of this life to even matter, Jesus is your only chance. And I suppose being born again is a second chance. I get that. But without Without Jesus, there are no chances. Without Jesus, there's no hope. There's no opportunity. The Bible says he was the first fruits. That means he was the first one to go to die to be resurrected and then live again. But he does so so that we might follow suit. That we might, through faith, in him alone, be found forgiven that we might be saved, that we might be born again, filled with his Holy Spirit, that we might be redeemed from hell, that we might be reconciled to God, and that we might feel and know the love that God has expressed towards us through the cross. 
You see, we're not all born children of God. We all, we all don't experience the love of God continuously apart from God. You don't get the kingdom without the king. You don't get the savior without admitting that you need saving. You don't get freed from hell unless you know that there's a hell to go to. You need you need something that I can't give to you today, and that's for your ears and your eyes to be open to the Holy Spirit. I can't I can't make that happen. On a Sunday morning, I come in, I proclaim the truth, and I trust God. That's all I do. I trust that the words being said are going to be the ones that just break through the logjam of the world that is in your head and heart, and God will penetrate and get to the to the very seat of who you are, and that, yes, you will finally see God loves me. Even though I'm a sinner, God loves me, and, and I, will, I will repent. I will forsake this and, and, and embrace the, the grace that God has extended to me. In John chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus said uh, to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus said, I am the door. I want you to see life as two different places. In one place, it's dark, desolate, hopeless. It's dead. Over here, you've got life and life more abundant. Don't get caught up on that abundant word. It's just, it's life as much as you can live it, as much as can be poured out, and even more than that. Every experience is amplified by the fact that you have the Holy Spirit in you. And in the center of those two worlds is this door, and Jesus is that door. And you don't cross from the dead to the life. You don't cross from the dark to the light without going through him without going through the torn veil that is his body, without going through his sacrifice, without going through the cross of Christ. You don't enter into that good pasture that Jesus is talking about without going through him. He says that every other door, every other person is a thief, a stealer, a robber, a, a murderer. And here's our problem. It's the same thing that the angel said to the women at that tomb on that first Sunday morning. He's, he, they said to him, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? Church, the reason why every Sunday for thousands of years, thousands of years, the gospel has needed to be proclaimed is because we as a people are continuously looking for life in death. We are always going from thing to thing, from dead thing to dead thing, thinking, yes, this will bring me life. This will change everything. This will make me good. We always go looking into this or that and think, yes, this will make me whole again. I finally got this job. This will make me whole again. And for a while, we, we feel good. We have that high of a new job, and then that all fades. I finally got a girlfriend. I finally got a boyfriend. Oh, now things will be okay. Nope. Fades again. And that person starts getting on your nerves. You start wondering why you even got with them in the first place. If I just, well, maybe if I have kids. Kids are good. And Getty says kids are good. Kids are good. Right? I see him dressed. You don't even know who Ann Gettys is? She dresses up 
babies like fruit and vegetables. That's what she does. Babies are good. Babies will make me whole. But then, but then somehow that just amplifies the emptiness in us. I know what I'll do. I'll get a motorcycle. I know what I'll do. I'll get a boat. I know what I'll do. I'll get a new job. I know what I'll do. I'll go to the casino. I know what I'll do. I'll sleep with that person. I know what I'll do. I'll go do drugs or drink or something. I will go halfway across the world. I'll climb up a stupid mountain, and then I'll have this epiphany, and everything will be okay, and it's life amongst the dead. And we just keep piling it up and piling it up and racking up debt and, and just just driving this piercing sorrow deeper deeper into our hearts. And God comes to us and says, why do you look for life amongst the dead? Now, hopefully, none of you heard all of that and said, that's all of me. I did all of that. But maybe you heard some of it and said, yes, I, I've, I've done that. I have... I've put all of myself into a relationship or, 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 or children or a job or an investment or a hobby or, or something. That has been who I was for so long, and here I am as empty as I ever was. Church, today is your day to be made alive. Now, are any you know, drugs, promiscuous sex, extramarital affairs, yeah, that's all bad. We get that. But jobs aren't bad. If you guys are hearing, I need to quit my job, that's not what I said. I need to get rid of my kids, that's definitely not what I said. What I am saying is, is that those even good things can become idols in our lives. These idols that are insatiable, we can never satisfy them, and they lord over us. And, they, and they, what was once an enjoyment is now just more slavery. And so... When you know Jesus, when you give your life to him, when you put all of yourself, all of the, the eggs of your life into his proverbial basket, you now see these things in their proper light. You no longer worship your children. You love your children. You see how God's love for you is like your love for them. It means now that, that your job, you can go and work as though you're working unto the Lord. I'm driving this nail into this board as if I am building something for Jesus, not just some guy who gave me a, a, some money. You, you, could, you can love your husband or your wife the way that Christ has loved you. You can serve them and love them and, 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 and seek to please them in a way that's not idol worship, but in a way that God created you to be. And you can be delivered from the things like drugs and alcohol and promiscuity and, 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 and just all the things of this world that truthfully is just a really bad patch over the hole that is in us. So the real challenge today, the only real question today is do you want to be made alive in Christ? Jesus, when he met Nicodemus, Nicodemus came looking for him in John chapter 3. Now, we've heard, for God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son. That's John 3.16. The whole discourse of that is Jesus having this, this clandestine meeting with this guy named Nicodemus. He was a teacher of the law. Now, he, he, he should have known some things, but yet he had seen and heard about Jesus and had questions for him, but didn't want to risk his reputation, didn't want the other teachers of the law to see him conversing with this controversial, rebellious rabbi. And so he meets him at night under the cover of dark and starts asking them these questions. 
And Jesus tells them, tells them basically, and I'll paraphrase, you'll never see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now we've used that phrase as Christians, we, we've just overused it, and I, I want us to redeem it. I want us to, to reuse it the way it's properly intended. Nicodemus, probably like you, had you never heard that phrase, thought to himself, wait a second, how am I going to be born again? Do I climb back into my mother's womb? Like, how does that work? I understand being born once, but my understanding is that doesn't happen again. And Jesus said, you're a teacher of the law? Like, you're the guy in charge and you don't know this? You, we talk about, Jesus said, we talk about what we know. And you obviously don't know anything about this. And so he tells him, unless you're born again, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. See, unless we're born again, unless we're made alive, unless something changes, we have no hope. But today, if you'll put your faith in Christ, if you will simply believe Jesus... If you will believe in what he has done upon the cross, if you will believe that it is enough for you to be saved from the wrath of God, if you believe that he is the one true Savior, he's the only door, he's the only path, he's the only way to be made right with God, we're not even talking about going to heaven. Because heaven is nothing if we're not made right with God. And eternal life starts today if we give our life to Jesus today. Today, will you be born again by putting your faith in Christ? I could preach, it's not even 12 o'clock yet. I could preach to you all day. And at some point, you'd fall asleep, get bored, get tired, and I'd still be up here, like, just going off. But here's the point. All that has been said is enough for you to give your life to Jesus today. Some of you have, praise God. We're not looking for uh, a, a club to develop where, hey, we're saved and you're not. And, you know, we're better than you. No, no, no. We want everybody to give their life to Jesus. For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, we've recognized all of this. We've, we've tried all these paths and avenues. We've, we've looked for life amongst the dead. And then one day, we heard the gospel message of Jesus. That God himself came down from his throne to this earth, lived a sinless life, died a perfect death so that we might have hope and then conquer death that we might be born again. That we can forsake the sin of our old life, that we can die to ourselves, so that we may be born again or made new or, or transformed into what God intends us to be. You see, when I read John chapter 10, it says that, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. See, I remember Psalm 23. Many of you know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. It talks about he lays me down beside still waters. He, he brings me to green grass. He prepares a table bef before my enemies for me. You see, Psalm 23 is this image of the good shepherd and what he does. See, as you enter into that door that is Jesus, you walk into a life that's not free of pain. I hope I haven't painted that picture. You walk into a life of abundance. That means you have life like nobody else. 
doesn't mean you're the richest. It doesn't mean you're the thinnest. It doesn't mean you're the, the best. It doesn't mean you are the, uh, the, the have the most power. What it means is that you and Jesus are one and you are under his protection. You're under his love. You're under his authority. And he will lead you and guide you like no other time in your life. Some of you might have given your life to Jesus before, and you, and you remember this time. You remember being in that green pasture, being led by Jesus, and then the world came in and kind of sucked that out of there, kind of stole it away from you. And since then, you've been like, oh, I, I, I know, I just can't seem to get back. Today's your day. And for some of you, you, you don't even know what I'm talking about, but you're tired, and you are sick, and you are just feeling life like you never have and today I come to offer you Jesus, your only hope. The God of only chances. That you would give your life to him. And what does that mean? I, I'm, when I preach, I like to preach practically. I want you guys to know what to do. It's not enough for me to come up here and preach vague stuff and then you walk away saying, Oh, that was a good sermon. Let's go eat ham. Like, you got to know. You got to know what to do next. So what do you do? You've been presented with the gospel of Jesus. The good news of Christ, the first thing you need to do is surrender. Any of you, especially if you knew you looked around, saw people raising their hand, you're like, what are they doing? Surrendering. Surrendering. International sign of surrender is the raising up of two hands. You know, if you ever watch CSI or some cop show, they all do it. Why? Because we all know what this means. Surrender. Lord, I give up. You see, we are told through the Bible not to give up or to surrender to anything else except for God. These ladies, they try to worship these angels. You know, if you're confronted by a couple of men in dazzling garments, and you know, you're not in Las Vegas, so you know, it's not like a normal thing. Like you show up at an empty tomb and there's two guys and you can't hardly look at them. Your first instinct is going to be like, wow, these guys are crazy. I'm going to worship them. And they say, no, no, no. Why are you looking for Jesus amongst the dead? In the book of Revelation, you see the same thing. John tries to worship angels, and they're like, no, 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 get up. You don't worship me. We worship Jesus. You surrender to him. You don't surrender to angels. You don't surrender especially to demons or Satan or sin, but you surrender to Jesus alone. You wave the white flag, you put your arms up, and you give your life to him. You repent. The very fact that Jesus has already died for you offers you the ability to repent. Now, some of you will, will put in this place penance, which is, okay, I've committed X amount of sins, so I've got to light a certain amount of candles. i got to say a certain prayer 40 or 50 times. I've got to give X amount of dollars to the church because that's what the pastor told me to do. And then my sins will be absolved or my sins will be forgiven or they'll be forgotten or atoned for. No. No. This is not penance. This is repentance. Repentance is I'm walking towards sin and Satan and death, and I'm walking towards the chains that bind me every day, and now I turn away by the power that Jesus has given me. I walk away. I repent. And sometimes that walk is not quite as brisk as the one going towards death, right? Like walk, The path towards sin and death is a really easy path. It's all downhill. You got roller skates on. Smooth sailing all the way down to that. But coming back up, it's like trying to go up that mountain again with those skates on again. It's like you're just digging your claws in. Lord, please help me. I'm falling back in. I need you. Repentance. Worship. 
we spend a lot of time in music, and truthfully, not as long as I'd like. I'd like to sing more and, and praise more, not because not because we just want to repeat things over and over again, but, but worship is what we were created to do. And when you're born again, you're born again to be created. Or excuse me, we're born again to, we're create, recreated to worship. One of my um, earliest prayers as a Christian was, Lord, I don't like Christian music. Gasp. Like, there's a lot of worship songs I just don't like. But they're not for me. <laughs> Some of you might say, I don't like that worship song. The, the song's not for you. I don't know if you guys don't know that. When somebody writes a song or sings a song or picks a song on a Sunday morning, we're not thinking, yeah, this person will like this and this person will like that. We're thinking Jesus will like this song. And so for me, there's a lot of grace for somebody who writes a song for Jesus and not for me. If, if, it's, if it's really plain and simple and just doesn't have a good beat or whatever, that's not the point of worship. The point of worship is that I would give my, my whole self to him by laying down before him. Praise God that, that he answered my prayer. He led me into songs that, uh, that make it easier to worship. Because I didn't think they existed, but they totally do. He had me fall in love with, with hymns that were two and 300 years old. Hymns that were written uh, with blood. Written, written by men who were just completely broken. You ever heard the story behind the song, It Is Well With My Soul? Man sent his wife and daughters by ship to Europe and the boat crashed the boat sunk taking his wife and daughters with it and then he pens this hymn it is well with my soul it's this it's this wonderful broken hymn about this man who's lost everything yet still has Jesus and has truly lost nothing you see that that's the kind of life that we are being called to. One of my favorite illustrations, I shared it on Wednesday, and I always share it a lot during during Easter or Resurrection Sunday. Two men standing at Niagara Falls, tightrope going across the thing. If you've heard this before, please, I don't mean to be so repetitive, but it's my favorite illustration. Two men standing at this tightrope going across Niagara Falls. Man has a wheelbarrow. He looks over at the other guy and says, do you believe I can do this? I can push this wheelbarrow across this tightrope. And the other man says, yeah, I believe it. And so the man with the wheelbarrow says, okay, then get in the wheelbarrow. You see, the belief that we are talking about as Christians is not one that says, yeah, I see it from afar and, and I believe this. I believe Jesus exists. I believe that he's got the rules or he's got this. And I believe he's a good teacher and he's, he's a prophet. I believe from the outside on the sidelines, the belief that, that the Bible calls for is one that says, I get in the wheelbarrow and I trust the one pushing it. I, I put my life into Jesus' hands and I trust the hands that hold me. That no matter what befalls me, it will be for my good and for his glory. That's the belief that is different than the belief of the world. I can believe all day that a certain brand of truck is the best truck. I can't even name the brand because you guys will all be in ar at arms in a minute fighting each other. And Pete, thank you for laughing at my jokes. Everybody else, just embarrass yourself when you don't laugh at my jokes. I got your money for you later, Pete. Um, <laughs> but I can tell you all day, yeah, this truck is the best. This is blah, blah, blah. Do you have that truck? No. 
I don't want to invest that much money into something like that. Well, then maybe you don't really believe that. Maybe you don't really believe that that's the best. See, a Christian is somebody who believes that Jesus is the only way. And without him, there is no hope. And without him, there is no love. And without him, there is no peace. And so only through faith in him can we have that. So, Mike, I'm going to ask you to come up if that's okay. Play some pretty soft music. We're not, we're not into enticing you. You know, this isn't a sales pitch. We don't have a lot of free stuff. You don't get a gift basket if you give your life to Jesus today. You know, there's no discount on Tuesdays if you give your life to Jesus today. We have donuts and coffee, but you get that no matter what. And we play the music truthfully to, to, to use music as a, as a weapon, as a tool, to help you in making one of the best decisions of your life. I'm not even going to make you stand today. Usually I'm all like, let's stand and let's do the you know spiritual heads up, seven up game. Not going to do that today. So I ask you to sit. Mike's going to play a little bit. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray together. Amen? Jesus, you are our only hope. But for the Christian, we don't say that in desperation. We say that in proclamation. You are the only hope. And we praise God that we have that only hope in us. That we have the hope. That we have what, what is needed to enter through the door, to into the pasture that you have laid out for us. But Father, you have placed us in a fallen world. And there are those who have just not made that decision today. Or maybe... Like the seed sown amongst the path, the birds came and ate it. Or the seed sown in the thorny briars, the, the, the worries of this world choked it out. Or the, the seed planted on the, on the rocky soil shot up real fast and then the, the scorching sun burnt it up. Maybe, Lord, your word has come in and, and it was there for a while, but it's been stolen from us. Today, Lord... We trust your Holy Spirit and the gospel message of Jesus to bring transformation to your people in a way that only you can. Jesus, I pray for every person here today. I, I, take no, I make no assumptions about somebody's spiritual life. That is between you and them. I might see the fruits, but you know them like nobody else. Church, Jesus knows you in a place where I will never enter. So with eyes closed, give your life to Jesus today. Amen? Raise your hand. I don't care if you've been saved. I don't care if this is your first time. I don't care if you've been going to church for decades, longer than I've been alive. Raise your hand if today Jesus is your only hope. Raise your hand. Amen. Lord, we raise our hands to you, for you are good. And you alone are our hope. And through you alone do we find salvation. And we praise you that not, not because you were beaten, we, 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 we understand that you were beaten for us, but that you raised up your life for us as well. That that tomb is empty, that the cross is empty, and heaven is full of the saints who have passed before us in faith in Christ. And we pray that one day that would be us as well. That from this moment on, eternal life would begin. That every moment, every day, every experience would be a lesson and a refinement and an enjoyment and cause for rejoicing. 
We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.